Hey, and welcome to The Baked Bear, episode 8. Now, I know there have been a lot of rumors flying around about The Baked Bear. How there's no knowledge, how there's no expertise, and how the jokes are really bad. But what the hell, everybody? I mean, God, The Baked Bear is about the very best in every one of us. Can't you see that? I mean, okay, we can do better. So, this episode... For the first time, The Baked Bear is doing a recasting episode fusing our 2022-23 Bruins with the TV show The Office. Yeah, not bad, right? So, let's make this the best Baked Bear ever. Best Baked Bear ever. I'm Jay Pike. The Baked Bear is presented in partnership with Black and Gold Productions, LLC. You can find me on Twitter at my underscore Bruins, the pod itself at the Baked Bear Pod. Uh, love to hear what you're thinking, what you're feeling, so we can talk it out. Uh, you can also email me, bakedbearpod at gmail.com. Uh, and don't forget, uh, take a moment, rate and review on whichever platform uh, you do all your podding. So I've got the big uh, fun office recasting coming. Uh, but before that, a few other things to talk about, a few quick hits. Uh, I mean, what can you say about the Celtics in Game 7? It just was bad. They didn't show up at all. If Tatum doesn't get hurt, I do truly think it's a very different game. At worst, it's competitive. And the last five minutes are super tight. But it was like the moment he went down, everyone else on the team came to the conclusion that they were losing, that it was over. And that's how they played, and that's why they lost. So um, I'm hoping Sam Cassell uh, really helps out the coaching staff. Well, we'll see you next year. It was great seeing Luch win a world championship gold playing on the top line. Really impressive. But please stop with the bring Luch back stuff. You got to just please stop. It's actually interesting to me how many people are all horned up for Luch to be a Bruin again. His big three-ish years were like a decade ago. I wish I remembered uh, Luchich's time here with those rose-colored glasses on like so many do. And I mean that. I'm not being sarcastic with you. Um, I'd love to remember him that way. Um, I think of 2011 a lot, but other than that, it for me, when I think of Luch, I think of the cliff and how quickly... Uh, he fell off of it. But I took a quick uh, YouTube minute and I was reminded just how incredible uh, Luch was in his prime. It was a short prime, but he was a fucking game wrecker when he wanted to be uh, for those three and a bit years. I get wanting that guy back. Just the 2023 version uh, we don't need. So I may have been wrong about the cup finals. I had Florida in kind of a softish five, knowing that, I mean, it's hockey, so maybe it'll go six, but I figured six games was way less likely than five. So uh, every week I share with you the answer to the question, Jay, why don't you gamble on sports? The Kachuk hit on Eichel was fine. I was fine with it immediately, um, but of course that didn't stop the Vegas Knights from starting a bunch of nonsense. Uh, I hate when this happens after a clean hit. It's just like 
theater to me. Um, gets in the way of the hockey. I don't know if there's anything the NHL can do about it, but I'd love for them to find a way to lower the number of post-clean hit scuffles and fights that we get. They're a waste of time, and they distract from a clean hit that we should just be talking about as something exciting, but instead it becomes all the nonsense afterwards. That's just bad marketing. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was genuinely incredible. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything here. I just, I have some praise I have to get out. uh, And some people just don't want to hear praise. You know, you can hear a vibe or, you know, you think you hear something and that's totally cool. Just skip ahead a couple minutes and I'll be on to the office recasting. Um, But that skipping thing, that's only an option for those who are avoiding spoilers. Everyone else, don't touch a fucking thing. Now, I'm a Marvel fan for sure. Not like I'm a Star Wars fan. That's a more obsessive Marvel. It's just like, you know, big fan kind of thing. Um, but I do enjoy both franchises. But, of course, both of them now are producing so much content. And they're making their content just about every moment of it is mandatory viewing if you want to follow and stay informed in their universes. Universi? Universes. We're going with universes. The MCU has 32 movies now. What? And in those 32, there's just too many duds for me to be obsessed about the universe. Now, obviously, some of Marvel movies are simply incredible. But I find the incredible movies outsized by the duds by a considerable margin. Now, I'm not here to put down any Marvel movies. I'm not out to attack anybody who, you know, thinks a lot more of them are genius than I do. You do you. You enjoy. That's just the lens that I see Marvel through. So it might just inform what you think of my opinion. And for me, the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies are top 10 Marvel movies. The first one is top five easily probably top three and what James Gunn pulled off with volume three jumps right up into that category for me even after the one viewing um, obviously I'm gonna need to see it a few more times to make sure of some things and and make sure it feels as authentic uh, on multiple viewings as it did on the first one and if it is then honestly Guardians 3 may be my favorite Marvel movie and I'm talking my favorite Marvel movie. You want to talk about which one's the best Marvel movie? You can get into it, but I think this is the one that I felt the most for. The stakes were incredibly emotional. They were incredibly high. The highest they've been in, I don't, at least since Infinity War, but uh, for me, possibly ever, the CGI was incredible. I don't know what you thought of Quantum Mania, but I thought it looked terrible. I thought it was absolute shit, but Guardians makes up for it tenfold, I think. Um, Great story as well, great music, super funny. Honestly, it felt more like a James Gunn movie than a Marvel movie, and that might be part of the reason I loved it so much. Not a shot at Marvel, but sometimes they pack just so much universe building into movies that it becomes a little bogged down. So I was trying to think what my movie rating system should be, right? Should I have like like five leaves or five hits or 
or do like the old porno magazines did back in the day. Uh, but instead of rating movies on how good they are by how high the dick points, I'll do how great the movies are by how high the bong points. And if I'm doing that, Guardians 3 had my bong fully erect. And one more quick hit. Uh, some news that came out just before uh, I was going to begin recording, actually. The WWF WWE legend, the Iron Sheik, has died. Sheik was a powerhouse. One of the greatest heels pro wrestling's ever seen. I uh, I, I think of his, his feuds with Hogan and Slaughter uh, are things I remember well and bring back a lot of fond memories uh and i'll say this this and this is just honesty he was the greatest tweeter in the history of twitter no one will be able to do what he did with twitter again it makes me kind of wish that uh, it was, had been the iron cheek who bought twitter instead of uh elon over there but say la vie uh r.i.p to the legend the iron cheek so we're Kind of stuck in off-season purgatory for a couple more weeks, I think. So I thought I'd have some fun with some content. There are plenty of incredible black and gold pods that you can get true information from. Uh, you know, real ideas and thoughtful debate about potential trades and free agency. Which prospects uh, project to see some ice time with the big club and so on. But... You're not tuned into the Baked Bear for information like that, though, right? I really hope not. So instead of keeping you informed, I have prepared some proper uh, silliness. And I have recast one of the greatest sitcoms ever, The Office, with our 22-23 Bruins. I'm using The American Office, and it is by no means some proclamation of the u.s office being superior to the uk office i am a full 10 out of 10 for both of them i think they're both two of the funniest shows that have ever been made i think they're both hall of fame sitcoms i have no qualms with either one if you feel strongly one way or the other that's cool but for me i am equally obsessed with both but the u.s version has so many more episodes than the UK, which means a lot more material to mine for casting, which makes my life a lot easier. And if you would expect any less from me, this is not the podcast you're looking for. I guess an office quote would have made a lot more sense there, um, but there's definitely some coming, and I'm not perfect. And none of these castings are going to be perfect either. Each one was chosen for either a broad reason or a really specific one. Could be simple as a character trait, could be a singular event that maybe isn't indicative of the character, but is something that they experienced, and if that makes a connection, then I'm making the connection. Even uh, some reasons that I'm sure will be a bit of a stretch, they are still reasons. Plus... Like Michael calling himself a baby daddy, we can talk ourselves into just about anything, I think. So to paraphrase the redoubtable Michael Scott, Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to the Baked Bears inaugural Bruins recasting The Office. I am no longer your host. Lady Fortune is your host. Shut it, shut it, shut it. Will Lady Fortune be your hostess? 
Only time will tell, my friends. Leave all your preconceived notions about recasting episodes at the door. Old friends, new lovers, and the disabled. Welcome all to the Baked Bears inaugural Boston Bruins recasting The Office. Right away I knew I wanted to include the coaches. So early on in my brainstorming, uh Monty started becoming Michael Scott in my head. Storyline-wise, if I don't make Monty Michael, how do I cast Jim and Pam? The dynamic of the boss could only help help make my life easier. Otherwise, if I cast Frederick as Michael and I make Monty Pam, I'm clearly just letting the casting be chaos, and that didn't seem quite as fun. But certainly was a way I could have gone. Editors note, the storyline idea will be ignored plenty. For example... Michael Scott is famously disliked by his workers, but Monty is famously well-liked by his players. Contradictions like this are going to happen, and if you don't like that, well then to you I say, why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. But I think Michael and Monty, despite being enjoyed to varied degrees by their workers, are both, at their core, people-pleasers. Michael desperately wants his workers to be happy and to be his friend, but he doesn't know how to make friends or make people happy. He never learned those skills, so he ends up driving them away. Monty has clearly been well-educated in how to make friends. He's not a big yeller. He gives rest to the players when it's requested. He doesn't practice or coach them overly hard, it seems, especially late in the season. He wants to keep his players happy. But unlike Michael, he knows how to keep them happy. Perhaps to his and the team's detriment, but nevertheless, they're both people-pleasers at their core. Plus, is there anyone else in the Bees organization who you would imagine appreciating Pretzel Day more than Monty? It's late March, post-trade deadline. Practice is a hard one. Monty spots the pretzel guy through a window in the foyer. Slowly he skates and spins, whistling and leaving the ice, just casually leaving the team behind. They're befuddled, but not shocked. Monty ends up in line with Charlie McAvoy, and they boo Ulmark and Swayman because they think the goalies are trying to uh, pull a two-for-one, skip the line. Monty returns to practice with his already half-eaten, loaded, sweet, soft pretzel, the sugar kicking in. The practice ends up being very creative, but very confusing, and kind of short. Plus, Monty, as Michael, made casting Jim and Pam a bit easier. The coach is playing the boss, so the team's two most important players must be the show's two most important characters. Or... That's how I decided to look at it. 
So I'm talking about Jim Halpern and Pam Beasley, obviously. Jim worked sales, was hopelessly in love with Pam since before the show began. Pam was the receptionist. Long story short, they end up with two kids. Lots of promotions happen. Lots of career changes happen. Uh, Jim with a major one. But when I say they're the most important characters, after Michael, of course, if that isn't already clear, it's because I think they're a bit of the straw that stirs the drink. So much of the office drama seems to emanate from those two. I'm not saying they're the best or they're my favorite or anything. Their characters just feel like they have a strong orbit. So then the question became, who's the Jim? Who's the Pam? And for me, Marchand had to be Jim. And it's a casting that I think makes really perfect sense in one very important way. The love at first sight between he and Bergeron when Marchand arrived in Boston. At first, I actually had Marchand uh, pegged as Pam Beasley, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that Marchand is the Jim to Burgie's Pam. Jim's the prankster. Jim would have licked Dwight's cheek in the name of a deadly prank if he had to. Obviously, it would have needed to have been a high-stakes situation, but I think he would have. I believe he was that committed. Plus, Jim knew how to keep the group feeling light. Games like Desert Island, Flonkerton. I mean, that just sounds like Marchand. Plus, Marchand and Jim are both noted outdoorsmen. Jimothy likes biking, Marshy likes hunting. I don't like either. Meanwhile, Pam, like Bergie, is the more natural leader of the couple. And she's also an artist. Now, I don't see Bergie painting. I think his artistry would come out more uh, with the pen to the paper. I think uh, Bergie's a poet, but one way or the other, artists. Pam is also the organized one, who really does play somewhat of a traditional mother role, kind of the predominant child raiser, likely because, you know, Jim has made more money his entire career, so whatever. Point being, if Bergie and Marshy were married, that's kind of how I'd see them. Kind of, if they were in those traditional roles. Bergie has mom and disciplinarian written all over him, while Marshy is a no-brainer for a fun dad. Not that he wouldn't be involved also, but, you know, he's got that... He licked a guy, right? That's the fun dad stuff. Plus, Pam's missed a whole bunch of time for childbirth and child rearing. Bergie's missed a bunch of time for concussions. That feels like a push. No, no, I've never had a kid. Oh. No, no, I've never suffered a concussion either. These are weird questions. I'm just going to move on. Uh, Bergie isn't as flighty as Pam, obviously. Quite the opposite, I suppose. Uh, Pam also knew how to give a rousing speech, though. Like when she fired up the office to embrace Dwight's Christmas. She was like Che Guerra, I think. I mean, I've only seen the t-shirt. But it's just another way she and Bergie are similar. Casting Dwight felt like the first real challenge because I wanted to keep the storyline fit going for at least lead characters, like the ones in the credits anyway. Uh, plus, there really isn't anyone who screams Dwight, like no one on the team who's an, a villain or an anti-friend to Bergie and Marshy. So I felt free to think outside the box. So I imagined Pasta as Dwight. Now I'm thinking end of season nine Dwight. Kind of fully evolved Dwight, a true friend to Pam and Jim. 
but still a completely different person and not someone that you'd think would work so well with the other two. Obviously, this works into a great uh, little metaphor for the perfection line. Dwight was in sales, uh, desperately wanted to be manager, and he did get the gig uh, finally near the end of season nine. He was a farmer and a proprietor of a B&B, a quaint little beet farm where one can learn table making. I've never been personally. I, I don't like beets. Pasta doesn't have a lot in common with Dwight, kind of as described there. But when you think of Dwight, you have no issue conjuring an image of Dwight that says Dwight. And it's the same way with Pasta. They're both the most unique personalities. I mean, they're two guys that seem born in the wrong eras. Pasta seems to have a yearning for the 90s, and we know that Dwight yearned for the 1740s or something like that. So they're guys that are kind of out of their generation, and it gives them a real unique outlook on life and a unique personality and style. So that's why I came to what is still, when I say it, a bit of an odd one. But I put David Pasternak as Dwight Schrute. And if only as well, because I so desperately want to hear Pasta say, I grew up on a farm. I've seen animals having sex in every position imaginable. Goat on chicken. Chicken on goat couple of chickens doing a goat, a couple of pigs watching. I mean, you gotta want to hear, actually, really, I want to hear any of them say it, but Pasta in particular. And I'd say it's with this casting here that things really got interesting for me. I had to think of Ryan the Temp through the eyes of Monty as Michael. And this led me to uh, casting Ryan Howard, Ryan the Temp, with Derek Forbert. Yes, one of the credit characters goes to Derek Forbert. Think about finale, season four, goodbye, Toby. Ryan gets arrested for fraud against Thunder Mifflin, the company he works for. Mind you, the beard was the real crime, but still. And then Michael hires Ryan back the first chance he gets. It's inexplicable to the office, inexplicable to the higher-ups at Dunder Mifflin, and isn't this how the fans felt about Monty keeping Forbert in for all seven games in the Florida series? Thinking, what the hell, man? This makes no sense. You're making the team worse. Hence, Forbert has the temp. Forbert has skills Monty seems to value, despite a few others seeing them. Apparently, it was mostly Forbert's size, last I heard. Not great. Sure. But still better than Forbert just being cool and hot. So imagine Monty did his own Dundies. They'd be called the Bosties. Maybe he uh, does a Bostie Awards before the guys leave for the summer. So here's Monty. This next award goes to someone who really lights up the locker room. Someone who I think a lot of us cannot keep from checking out. The hottest in the locker room award goes to... Forbert, the temp. I believe in miracles. Where you from? You sexy thing. And like Forbert's somewhat inexplicable ice time, Ryan's hottest in the office award winning streak really didn't make any sense to any outside observer. Plenty of others should have and could have won over different years. Season 5 Creed, smoke show. Season 9 Meredith, swing. But, like Grizz up on the ninth floor while Forbert wasted his opportunity, the game was rigged by the boss. 
I mean, I, I guess it's not rigged. It's just the boss's discretion. But still, I sure hope that's the last downer. All right, the last lead credits character to discuss before I open up uh, the system a little bit. I have Todd Bertuzzi in as Andy Bernard. Now, because Andy did not join the cast of The Office until season three, I thought that a newbie kind of made the most sense. Andy was new to Michael. Bert was new to Monty. And when you think about early Andy... He had all those outbursts. I need to know who put my calculator in jello, or I'm gonna lose my freaking mind. All that anger. And I'm also sorry that a lot of people here, for some reason, think it's funny to steal someone's personal property and hide it from them. Here's a little news flash! It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny! And your first impression of that guy is, you know, that guy ain't right. There's a bit of birth that gives that off. And it feels like the season suddenly ending the way it did in embarrassing fashion is akin to Andy punching a hole in the wall out of frustration over uh, his phone being missing. Um, after which, the character Andy Bernard went into anger management training because Ed Helms's contract with NBC had ended and there was interest on both sides for him to uh, join the team as a full-time uh, one of the lead characters. So while all of that was being worked out, Andy was off the show. And that kind of feels to me like where we are right now with Bert. A short time together led to some mutual long-term interest and now they negotiate. Will Bert make a triumphant return as Andy did? I sure hope so. And, you know, Andy came back and he wanted everyone to call him Drew instead of Andy. So maybe Bertuzzi's going to ask us to call him Uzi instead of Bert. Could happen. All right, now we really won't be afraid of getting outside of the box. Uh, I'm much less concerned with the storylines. Although I plan to use them when necessary. Because, like, who's playing Kelly Kapoor, right? Especially as it pertains to her relationship with Ryan the Temp. Especially when we add the context of Forbert being the one I put as Ryan the Temp. Right? Ryan and Kelly's relationship is a unicorn. An unhinged unicorn. And our team has some nutters. But would there be one that would then go with Forbert? It just wasn't making any sense. Oh, and both Kelly and Ryan are kind of bad people. And none of our bees really fit that description. So where I landed was actually on Uncle Nick. Yes, Uncle Nick for... Yes, Nick Felino for Customer Service Department Head Kelly Kapoor. And let me tell you why. I was actually thinking about how Kelly, who's played by Mindy Kaling, who is just as important behind the scenes as Kelly is on the screen. Mindy Kaling was a super important writer. She wrote the Dundies episode, which opened season two and set the tone for the series. She was also uh, a very important producer on the show. All of this from the jump. Her sense of humor is a big part of the series. And her character, Kelly Kapoor, and her narcissistic haphazard way of living makes for great entertainment. But when I think of Mindy Kaling and her importance to The Office... It's the behind the scenes that I would rank as more important than her on-screen stuff. That's not a shot at what she did on screen. It's just 
praise for what she did off of it. And that's kind of Nick Felino. On the ice, Felino, I mean, he was better this year, right? Obviously, he was hurt last year. He said he had more in the tank, and he did. But it still wasn't, you know, kind of, I guess, what we thought we'd have still at this time. But in the locker room, that's where Nick Felino shines. He's a leader. And he'd be a leader on the ice as well. But in the locker room and as a leader on the ice, that's where Nick's contribution is harder to measure. Because he's like having just an extra captain on your team. And that's what Mindy Kaling was. Plus, you know for a fact that if Felino had a choice for a birthday nap or watching TV while the other guys practiced, you know he's going to choose a nap. He'd be all like, I'm too excited to sleep. And then Pasta would walk in and bang a bunch of sticks together to wake him up. Yeah, be a good time. Casting Stanley Hudson took four ever it actually went to a guy who took forever to cast but i guess it would have to be that way wouldn't it because if stanley took forever then whoever gets cast as stanley was somebody who took forever but it was tough because to play stanley hudson i needed someone with a big heart and an even bigger butt so i picked charlie mcavoy did i stutter i suppose i teased that earlier so it's not a big reveal but still Mac has a weird place in my brain. When he first came into the league, he was paired up with who? Chara, the big Z. So in my head, McAvoy is Grizz's size. I've seen and watched nearly every Bruins game over the last five plus years. Mac still lives in my head as sub six feet tall. To this day, when I watch Bruins games and I can see on the TV... Max height and size and evidence of it doesn't matter. Brain does not retain it. Every time I'm surprised. So it, through that strange Mac lens, I ended up with Mac as Stanley. Largely because I think it's easy to picture Florida Mac. Hawaiian shirts, coconut rums, Panama hats. That's Mac. Plus, I'm sure I've read somewhere that Mac is like a huge Kenny Loggins fan. But when Stanley snaps, motherfuckers hide. And I think that's really where I started to connect Mac to him. Because I think Mac's got a bit of that crazy. Like, it'd be really easy to see Mac get into the corner with a guy. And that guy gives him, you know, an elbow to the gut that the refs don't see. Like, I could easily see Mac turning around to this rookie and saying, Boy, have you lost your mind? Because I'll help you find it. If that happened, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. That'd just be Mac being Mac. Not to mention, Stanley, hardworking sales lifer. He has goals, he has dreams, he has dundies for great work and fine work. That's basically two Norris trophies. And I think that's just like a sign of things to come for Mac. Obviously, casting Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman uh, was a big deal. And it posed a fun challenge because I didn't feel like they needed to connect to the main stories. But they did need to connect deeply to each other's stories. So I had to think of characters with super tight bonds. Dwight and Angela. Nah, that wasn't going to work. Michael and Ryan. Clearly not. Jim and Pam. Nah. Aaron and Gabe. Who? Well, that's not funny. But then I thought of Phyllis and Bob. What? That's perfect. 
Phyllis Vance and her husband Bob, married in one of the greatest wedding episodes ever put to film, are a loving, lovable couple. Phyllis worked sales at Dunder Mifflin, she played basketball in high school, and she shamelessly masturbated, or at least was masturbation adjacent, at work once. She's a legend. What line of work you in, Bob? Bob Vance. Vance Refrigeration. Bob is very protective of Phyllis, and he's an inconsistent bowler. But more than anything, the thing that makes it obvious, the thing that makes Ully and Sway, Phyllis and Bob, is that they are just horny for each other. Now, of course, with our goalies, it's not a romantic horniness. Phyllis and Bob, it sure is. But they're all about each other. They're together whenever possible. And they love PDAs. Bob once fed Phyllis some meat, with the two of them still in a dewy, post-coital glow, earned in the handicapped stall at the restaurant in which they were eating. Allmark fed Swayman a chicken wing, the two of them still in a dewy, post-shower, post-practice glow. Oh, and the cherry on top of this Allmark and Swayman as Phyllis and Bob casting is that Bob once paid $1,000 at auction for a hug from Phyllis. Now, obviously, goalie hugs are worth much more, but hugs are a big part of the mythology of both couples. For Kevin Malone, I ended up with Hampus Lindholm. Uh, Lindholm, you know, he's friendly and kind of goofy. He's got a great smile. All of those things, just like Kevin. Uh, Hampus, obviously, a lot better at his job, but... One thing to know is that in Sweden, they grow hundreds of varieties of chili peppers. And they can have some pretty cold winters. So there's no chance Lindholm doesn't make a mean pot of chili. He has a family recipe. There's a secret ingredient. Just like Kevin. Now I hope uh, Hampus's doesn't end up having to be scooped up off the carpet, but stuff happens. Plus, after Hampus retires, do you have any trouble seeing him... Owning and tending like a small bar in his hometown. No, he'd be incredible at that. I really wanted to put David Krejci in the role of Todd Packer. I wasn't sure why, but I really wanted it. But Krejci ended up as Angela Martin. Yeah, so obviously I didn't find a common thread uh, to run through the accountants. My apologies. But Krejci as Angela made uh, lots of sense to me because pasta is his Dwight. See, you gotta be flexible in this game. Krejci and Pasternak knew they wanted to be together, even when others may or may not have been ready to see it. And they work very well together. And if Krejci ever uh, forgot to show up for practice, you know Pasta would lose his job to protect Krejci's spot on the roster and Krejci's secret. I mean, I hope he wouldn't, but that's how close their bond is, and I would have to respect that. I also think that there's a business-like way that Krejci and Angela operate um, at their jobs that connects those two as well. So I gave the role of Oscar Martinez to Jake DeBrusque. Yes, I gave him a guy who spends a lot of time feeling un- or underappreciated by his boss when, in fact, he's actually very good at his job and very smart and a hard worker uh, when he's given the chance to do so in a healthy environment. And as we saw from Jakey D this year, uh, if he hadn't broken his leg, on which he scored two goals, uh, he'd easily have had 30 goals on the season. And if 
he scored the goals before he broke his leg. Don't tell me that. That, that story's not as fun. I think Jake and Oscar both bring great confidence to their jobs. They both have a lot of belief in themselves and their talents, and I think that uh, really connects them. Circling back a bit to Forbert playing the role of Ryan the Temp because of his relationship with Monty as Michael, the only role that made sense for Grizz to me was that of Toby Flanderson. I feel safe in assuming that Matt Grizznuck is not held in nearly as much contempt by Monty as Toby was by Michael, but it only makes sense that Toby be played by someone who is out of favor with the boss for questionable reasons to many outside observers. You felt bad for Grizz when he was up on the ninth floor. You felt bad for Toby when Michael targeted him. I mean, unless it was really funny, then you laughed. Yeah, you just outed yourself as a bystander. Shame. I had another role in mind for Freddy, and I'll get to that later, but in the end, I gave him the role of Meredith Palmer. Um, and this has nothing to do with Meredith's substance abuse issues. I know that's a major part of her character, but... I didn't make it a part of this. Um, but Frederick is young, and he sure seems mischievous. He just seems like the kind of guy who would show up on casual day with his genitals hanging out, because who wears underwear on casual day? Later, I found myself asking, who do you cast as the biggest wild card? The guy with the most variance from one scene or one shift to the next. Why, it would have to be Cliffy Hockey and Creed Bratton. Connor Clifton as the incredible and incredibly unpredictable Creed Bratton was actually a pretty easy fit. First, Connor and Creed both celebrate the holidays with Tapas Swissmas. Cliffy is obviously much better at his job than Creed, who I think Creed works in Quabity Auschwitz. Um, that's not it, but it's close. But they both, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. Creed's unpredictability is kind of part of what made him hysterical. Left field wasn't far enough out there uh, for where a lot of Creed's lines came from. Uh, Cliffy's variance is a lot less charming, unfortunately, as it leads to bad hockey plays, which lead to bad hockey games, which lead to losses, and so on and so forth. They are part of the game, of course, but uh, it's just a part of Cliffy and it's a part of Creed. Early on, I had Brandon Carlo as Daryl Philbin, but I didn't expect it to stick. I really was like, okay, I'm going to put him here as a placeholder because like, it would work, but I think there's going to be someone better, and it just never happened. I just, Carlo and Daryl worked. I think my instincts were spot on. You know, it's a couple maybe undervalued, underrated guys, um, both when they're healthy are at their very worst steady. Carlo, of course, uh, had concussion issues. Philbin, well, he had issues with like a MacGyver-style elevator uh, that led to a serious injury. But both of them missed a bunch of time. Carlo doesn't score a lot, but if you ever listen to him when he does, every time he scores, he says, Bippity-boppity, gimme the soppity. Who to cast as Jan? Lovely, lovely Jan. Mike Riley. Naturally. This one is all about, of course, the relationship with the management. Jan's pushed out by David Wallace and the top dogs at Dunder Mifflin, while Riley has been pushed out by Sweeney and Neely. Are you a fan of the dinner party episode? Uh, for me, it's fucking Shakespeare. 
So I think with Monty as Michael and Riley as Jan, uh, you'd have a very different context for the energy, but I think the energy would uh, be exactly the same. Pam's ex-fiance, Roy Anderson, went to A.J. Greer. Remember when Pam told Roy about the time she and Jim kissed and then Roy snapped with the help from his brother, destroying a lovely local bar? Yeah, Greer kind of has that violent energy, like he's spoiling for a fight. Always really giving it to, always yelling. So I think somebody with maybe some anger issues who yells a lot and brings a violent energy would work for Greer. That's the problem! I am listening! You kidding me, Nick? Don't think I forgot about Smitty. I put uh, Craig Smith in the role of Karen Filippelli. Please leave me the message. Because while both were great, their time kind of just had to end. And there was no way for it to end in a nice way. It just was going to happen and did. And everyone was okay with it. Aaron Hannon, the Pam replacement at reception, went to Pavel Zaka because I thought Zaka came in a bit unknown, right? You didn't really know, but uh, he pretty quickly found his role and has become a great part of the team. Clark Green, or Dwight Jr., as the office called him, came in like hot and aggressive, right? Trying to make his mark on the office, and I thought Garnet Hathaway came in with that same sort of energy. And both of those guys, they got this, like, feisty confidence to them. Like, why are you as confident as you are? Doesn't matter. They are. Uh, I'm sure Hathaway is a much, you know, more of a gentleman than a creep in comparison to Dwight Jr., though. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure of that. Dimitri Orlov, Hathaway's former teammate on another team. Well said, Jason. Uh, I gave him the role of Plop, or New Jim, or Pete Miller, I guess was his real name. Um, Orlov just comes across as a good guy. He really does. And Pete's the same way. Uh, can Orlov recite the screenplay to Die Hard from memory? I don't know that he can't. So we're just going to put this in the win column and be happy. I was very happy to give Cam Neely the role of Todd F. Packer because uh, it's just too easy for me to see Neely ending up in like a three-way dance grind with Monty and Freddy. I mean, I'd be shocked if it hasn't already happened. Um, Plus, all these years Neely's been with the Bruins, on and off the ice. There's no way he hasn't ended up passed out at a Bruins Christmas party, slumped in a chair, with a bunch of people doing stuff to him. There's no way that didn't happen. And little known fact, Cam Neely, huge William Hung fan. I got goalie Bob as Gabe Lewis. Uh, If you remember him, he was the lanky guy who worked for Sabre. Um, This was a weird one to come together, but it made a lot of sense once I found it. Um, Bob, Monty, Gabe, and Michael, there's a weird kind of who's in charge energy and it's a big part of Gabe and Michael's uh relationship and uh after Monty's whole you know you can ask Bob about the goalies type stuff I know that's been cleared up now uh but it works for this exercise that's the key see so uh, I got Bob goalie Bob as Gabe Lewis Don Sweeney as David Wallace was a storyline no-brainer 
they're the top brass. It's that simple. Uh, I'm also pretty sure Don Sweeney invested in the Sucket. Makes sense. Dwight's cousin, Mose. Uh, actually, I gave him to Thomas Nosek. Uh, I really thought this combination works because they're two guys who don't need a lot of ice or screen time to make a difference. Uh, they're the kind of guys who are going to do whatever's asked of them to help make their team better. They both care about keepsakes. Uh, it just made sense. I was very happy to find a role for Moe's at all, and for it to work for Nosek was uh, an extra joy. Do you remember Devin? Uh, Michael fires him at the uh, first Halloween episode. I gave him to Chris Kelly because we don't ever really see him that much, and we don't really get to know him, so it's kind of like, I know he's there, but I don't know him. Building security guard Hank Doyle, I went uh, gave him to Jacob Lauko because both of them play small roles, but they usually do kill it when their number is called. Uh, uh, Hank, Hank being called up to try and decide between the new chairs and a new printer uh, was incredible TV. Can I try the chair again? Okay, so there's one big name left. Not so much a big name. Character... Big name hockey player, Taylor Hall. I had him in a bunch of roles at different points, but I kept having to move him out. There was always somebody who fit a little bit better. Um, but at the end, I'm actually pretty happy where he ended up. I put Taylor Hall as Josh Porter, the Dunder Mifflin golden boy from the Stanford branch who leaves Dunder Mifflin, leverages uh, an offer from Dunder Mifflin to get more money from Staples, and he leaves Dunder Mifflin and goes there. Um now, of course, Josh Porter ended up being obviously portrayed as and was quite a douchebag. Hall, not at all like that. But his situation in New Jersey where he was able to just completely dictate where he got traded to kind of put that kind of vibe in my head. And I thought that was a connection that I haven't uh, made yet for anybody else. So it, uh, it really worked for me. So I've got Taylor Hall uh, as Josh Porter, but obviously hockey player playing a much bigger role than the uh, character on the show did. Now there are a few roles that didn't get cast, just started running out of players who had actually played any significant minutes. So characters like Martin Nash, uh, Carol Stills, Robert California, Holly Flax, Charles Minor, all of them had good moments and great things, but uh, I just didn't have enough players for them. Uh, I really wanted to cast Prison Mike as well, because I know he should be attached to Monty, but uh, in the end, bonus character, Prison Mike, I had to go with Bert. I think of that picture that is constantly circulating on Twitter. Uh, I think Bert's at the beach, the beach or the lake. He's got hat on backwards, sleeveless t-shirt that says just the tip. Like, that could be Prison Mike before going to prison. That could have been Mike. And, I mean, Bert comes across that tiny bit unstable. You know he could use a fearsome rant. You know he's read Harry Potter. You know. I mean, you can see Bert turning to Krejci in the locker room and saying, And you? You, my friend, would be the belle of the ball. Was the Baked Bears inaugural Boston Bruins recasting The Office a success? Well... Let me see. I made myself laugh so hard that I fell out of my chair and almost broke my neck. So I killed. Almost. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Thank you for listening. I've been Jay Pike. Find me on Twitter at my underscore Bruins. The podcast at the Baked Bear Pod. Email me, bakedbearpod at gmail.com. And please don't be afraid to leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you get your pods. Later, taters. Go beasts. Tiny Boston. Count the headlights on the Leonard P. Zach and Bunker Hill Memorial Bridge.